words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds upon those words be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are crucified, risen, reigning, coming again, redeemer. God, help us to be people uh, who aren't just hearers only, but to become doers of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to go back to this foundational piece in the Gospel of John. I think, I don't know how many more times, but it's uh, it's a foundation piece, and it keeps on, as we go forward, it keeps on referring back to this piece. So we're going to start there again, John chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus has just overturned the money changers' temples. He's kicked the oxen, and, and not literally, he's <laughs> chased the oxen and the sheep and the birds, the doves from the temple area. Chapter 2, verse 18, so the Jews said to him, the religious leaders, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, and this is three years later, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So just keep on. This is foundational for the whole rest of the Gospel of John. How does faith come? Faith that saves, faith that endures, faith that grows. It comes by hearing, right? He said, remember that Jesus had said this. They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Faith that comes by hearing, by the word of God, is faith that endures. Verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. We were just talking about faith and believing. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, the miracles. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. So John sets this foundation down. He says, Faith that comes by hearing is a faith that saves and grows and, and stands the test of time. Faith that comes by seeing miracles and things and going, wow, that's cool. But things about Jesus, that is on thin ice. And it's a really fascinating topic, right? Well, it's so fascinating that John then gives us three examples of what he's talking about. And we did last Sunday was Nicodemus, right? Pharisee that came to Jesus by night. Um, Nicodemus is an interesting one to start with because Nicodemus had seen Jesus' miracles, but he came to visit with him. He wanted to hear more the gospel. And we discovered that three years later, Nicodemus had become a saved believer because he had believed in the things that Jesus had shared, had spoken. Today, we're going to have a very different, wonderful example um, to go with. Today is Jesus' second example. So we go from the highest level, 100% perfect um, by pedigree Jew in Nicodemus, Pharisee of Pharisees, religious leader at the top of the religious leader heap in the nation. If you ask the nation at that time, who were the top three leaders in Israel in the Jewish faith, they would have said Caiaphas, the high priest. They would have said Nicodemus probably among the top three. So we go from Nicodemus to a foreign bloodline, unbelieving, non-Jewish woman of immoral lifestyle. Can you imagine a bigger contrast 
for examples to look at for faith. From Nicodemus to the woman at the well. Is faith that comes by hearing true for a Pharisee? Is faith that comes by hearing also true for a Samaritan woman? John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, what does Jesus command us to do at the end of Matthew chapter 28? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Um, does he command us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself? What was Jesus doing the whole time? Making disciples himself. So the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, why would that be news for the Pharisees? They didn't like what John was doing. And how many went out to John at the Jordan for the baptism and his preaching and, and repentance and changing, turning direction away from sin and towards Messiah? Thousands and thousands. How did the Pharisees feel about that? They didn't like John. They never gave approval to John. They wanted people to stay in town and bring their money to the temple. People by thousands were going out to the Jordan River and hearing uh, a, a repentance message and repenting of their sins, being washed, baptized in the River Jordan. Uh, they never approved. So when the Pharisees heard that Jesus was doing even more than John had ever done, now they're really upset. Verse 2 says, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Isn't that interesting? Jesus left Judea, departed again for Galilee, because where was his first miracle, his first signs? In Cana of Galilee. So he did that, the water into wine at the wedding. He did that first, and he came down to Judea, to Jerusalem for Passover. He did some ministry, some signs and stuff there. But now he's going to go back to Galilee because it's it's too hot in Judea, around Jerusalem already. Verse 4. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So this area has, well, I mean, all of Israel does, but this area has tons of history, goes back to Jacob, and he discovered a well, that the whole story is going to center around this well, goes clear back to Jacob's time. He's given to his son Joseph, verse 6. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which in our terms is noon. Today it's going to feel like 11, but it's noon. <laughs> right? So Samaria, let's talk about it a little bit. Samaria is a really interesting part of Israel. Um, a lot of tension, hatred, uh, division there. Because you got to go back about 750 years. Well, if you add, add on Jesus, 30 years of age, about 780 years. 780 years previously, Syria had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, killed an awful lot of people, took a whole bunch of the rest off in exile, scattered them all over their kingdom. And here's how the Assyrians did this. When they conquered a nation, they would kill and or remove the vast majority of that population. And then they'd bring in thousands and thousands of folks from their own Assyrian kingdom and other kingdoms and flood the nation with these new people. That's so that there wouldn't be so much uh, guerrilla warfare, people fighting for their homes, making it rough for them to keep, maintain control. So, so it'd be like Russia coming into Ukraine today, be like when they're done, kill tons and tons of people. Everybody else has left the country uh, through refugee status. 
then Russia would move in a whole bunch of people and, and take over the nation and really not let the refugees come back. That would be the strategy. It's a pretty smart strategy. It's really painful for the people and, uh, and wrecks things for hundreds and thousands of years to come. Potentially, that's what it's doing here. So who are the Samaritans? They're people from outside Israel who didn't know Israel's God. And they're brought in and planted there, transplanted there to live. They grow and live. They learn some things about the local stuff a little bit from a few hangers on. So the Samaritan religion is a mixture. They brought idols and their own gods with them. They added on a little bit of Yahweh, a little bit of Jacob, a little bit of Jacob's well, a little bit of Joseph, some of that Israel, that Egypt stuff, and the Pharaoh. That sounds kind of cool. Let's add that on. But it's a really mixed bag. They're not Jewish, and their faith is a mess. So when Israel comes back from Babylon and rebuilds Jerusalem and rebuilds the temple, brings back Bible-oriented, scripture-oriented faith, is there going to be tension with the Samaritans? Wow. The Jews come back. This is our land. This is our God. This is our temple. This is our faith. And we don't have anything to do with you. So when the Jews came back to Babylon, hundreds, well, 300 years later, 250 years later, uh, the Samaritans tried to keep them from rebuilding the wall and tried to keep them from rebuilding the temple. There was animosity from the get-go. This is the Samaria and their descendants that Jesus is going to hang out with today. It was about the sixth hour noon. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water at noon. So this isn't the normal time of day. When do you come to get water for your day's needs. You come in the morning. Why would you come at noon? Uh, maybe because her background has made her kind of an outsider in her own town. Very possible. A woman from Samaria came to draw water at noon. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? woman of Samaria. There's two things there. In that culture, men, strange men, did not speak to women in public like this. Second thing is, he's a Jew, apparently, obviously. She's a Samaritan. They don't have anything to do with each other in public either. So two issues. How is it to Jew a Jew ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now there's, this is a leap, right? She's just like, what, what are you doing asking me for water? She's there for water. It's all a physical thing. She's thirsty, da-da-da-da. Jesus talks about living water. She's not leaping to the spiritual element right away. This is a well that the people might have described as being a well of living water. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old, and it's still providing fresh water. How is that possible? It goes clear down to an aquifer, fresh-flowing spring-type water. So they called it a living well, probably living water themselves. This well is still there today, 75 feet down before your bucket gets washed. So you're going for a workout, right, ladies? 
you, you drop the bucket down there on the rope, and when it hits and it fills up, 75 feet, you got to bring that baby up. So Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep, 75 feet. What are you talking about? Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, that's quite a claim. We do that, don't we? My dad's bigger than your dad. Uh, we try to we try to build up our own case. Is her father really Jacob? Very unlikely. She might have like one or two percent bloodline in there, but claiming Jacob is her father. Are you greater than our father Jacob? In her mind, she's like, there's no way. Jacob is the biggest. Jacob gave us the well and drank from it himself. Look at the history here. As did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to, say it with me, eternal life. Now Jesus is really getting, he's laying all the cards out on the table, really obvious. I'm not talking about water with the bucket. I'm talking about water that bubbles up from within. We're not talking about throwing up, right? Water that bubbles up from within and leads to eternal life. So Jesus is doing his best like he always does, like he did with Nicodemus, trying to draw her up into consideration of the spiritual truth that's standing in front of her. The one who drinks from my water will never thirst again. It will well up to eternal life. Verse 15, let's see how quickly she tracks with him. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And she made the leap. Not quite yet. Jesus said, no, you probably know the story, but if you don't, she's had a rough life. She's already had five husbands and she's living with the sixth man and decided what's the point and didn't bother to get married the sixth man. Now, you and I would be tempted to say, you're a mess. You're a Samaritan. You worship all different kinds of messed up gods. You got a little piece of the truth, but, but you don't really even know it. And your life is an immoral wasteland. You need Jesus. That's the way... We think that's maybe what she needs to hear. Jesus knows this. How does he approach her? Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. So he doesn't confront her with the obvious nature of her, her messed up life. Now Jesus did that with the Pharisees and stuff. There are times where it calls for direct confrontation. That's mostly for people who are really hardened and, re and rejecting God and need a wake-up call. This is a, a different approach here. You'd be asking the Holy Spirit, how do I approach this person that needs Jesus? Here Jesus does kind of an end around. Go, call your husband, come here. The woman answered him, woman answered him I have no husband. 
I got some encouragement here, right? She spoke the truth. She doesn't go into detail. I mean, who would? This strange man at the well. But she speaks the truth. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said, say this with me, what you what have, you have said, said is, is true. true. <clears throat> Can Jesus work with a person who is willing to speak the truth? Mm-hmm. Even about themselves. That's what he needs. That's what he needs in us. He needs humility. He needs us to be willing to speak truth to him about our need, about our failures, about our sins. We need to be able to speak truth to him. She is. you have said is true. So Jesus reveals this. Has she told him all about her life? No. So this is a God thing, right? This is the only sign or miracle in this whole story. And it's not a physical healing. It's not, you know, fire down from heaven. It's Jesus knows her life. You have had five husbands. The one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said, now, now if you're the woman, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing thinking right now? So she's going to realize immediately now, who is she talking to? Someone who has direct connection with God. No one could know this about her unless they have connection with God. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I get this now. You're, you're a man from God. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So what'd she do? We, we were really close and personal a second ago, weren't we? With the husband's deal. So what does she do with it? Let's move the conversation to a political religious, religious issue. Let's go to Facebook and really have it out here. I mean, no, let, let's, let's move it away so it's not so personal. <clears throat> Our fathers worship in this mount, but you say that in Jerusalem is the Jesus said to her, he's not going to get into this this big Samaritan-Jewish battle. He wants to keep it on the spiritual level. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Say this with me. For salvation salvation is is from from the Jews. Jews. Don't often talk about these terms, right? Jesus was a Jew. God called Abraham and that his descendants are the children of Israel and the Jews. And salvation comes from Jesus born a Jew. Salvation's from the Jews. As a trained up Samaritan, how's she going to feel about that statement? All the defensive our way is okay kind of stuff is going to rise up. Maybe, right? But Jesus is poking that because he wants to speak truth. He's going to reach her. Salvation's from the Jews, verse 23. But the hour is coming and it is now here. Say this next part with me. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. 
engaging, not just going through rituals and ceremonies. You can show up and you can do the stand up and the sit down and all that kind of stuff. And you can drop things in the offering plate and whatever else. You can go through the motions. That's not worshiping God in spirit. Worshiping God in spirit means my spirit connects with his Holy Spirit. I worship him from my innermost being. I know him by experience. I love him by his word. I worship him in spiritual connection. And I worship him in truth. We've already heard truth in this passage, this conversation, haven't we? Jesus thanked her for speaking the truth about her messed up life and how she needs forgiveness and a Savior. She didn't say all that extra, but she, she admitted truth about her life, the, the messy part. You can't worship God if you're not being true and real with him about your failures, your sin, and your need for salvation and forgiveness. You can't. If you're not being upfront and real with God, he's not receiving your worship because you're not serious about being saved, being his child, being his disciple, and following him. So two huge keys here. I pray this a lot on Sunday mornings as I'm preparing to come over. God, Holy Spirit, grab our hearts as we come. We want to worship you in the spirit and the truth this morning. Why? Because there's a promise here that's so wonderful that's coming. Okay, for the Father, oh, here it is. So verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus tells her, when the true worshipers will worship not in a particular place, not in a particular building, right? Not at a certain mountain, not in a certain temple. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The only kind of people that God welcomes their worship. Now, he will welcome the worship of a Samaritan woman in a well. He'll welcome the worship of a high-ranking Pharisee. Doesn't matter the place. Doesn't matter the clothes. Doesn't even matter the moral purity. Say hallelujah. <laughs> kind of worshipers is he looking for? Not perfect people. He's looking for somebody who will worship him with their whole life, their whole being, with their spirit, and from a position of truth. God, I need you. You're God, and I'm not. I failed you. Forgive me. I love you. You know, all those things. That's who he's looking for. So I'm, I'm so confident. I, I love coming over here on Sunday morning because I'm like, God, I know that there's going to be people this morning worship you in, in spirit and truth. And so, Father, I know you when you show up. Because what's God doing on Sunday mornings? I mean, every day, all the time, he's looking for people, true worshipers. We've got some here. we got a bunch here. So I know God's going to be here every single Sunday morning. He comes on Wednesday nights. He shows up on Friday for a funeral. Amen? <laughs> Because he knows people there are going to be worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Amen. I think it's one of the most wonderful, exciting promises in Scripture. Father's looking for it. And by his grace, we, we provide it. He shows up. Verse 25, the woman said to him, oh, this, is, this is amazing. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? She's got questions. Her people have questions that they don't have answers to. 
Who are they relying on? Who are they looking to to answer? Looking to Messiah. This is so wonderful. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. I'll say this verse 26 with me out loud. Jesus, Jesus said, said to, to her, I will speak to you and me. There's only two times in all the Gospels that Jesus directly tells people who he is. Crazy! A Samaritan woman with a horrible immoral background in her life. And she's one of two people that Jesus directly tells, by the way, you're talking to the Messiah that I am. Just so you know. This is nuts. This is over the top. Is God willing to, not just willing to, is God searching, seeking, like, like Kevin read a little bit ago? Is God searching and seeking for anybody, anyone who is willing to worship him in spirit and in truth? Say yes, hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Now we need to be careful. I know I've done this. You and I tend to make judgments about who is worth approaching and who's worth praying for. Who, who Jesus might be looking after, might be pursuing. A lot of times we're wrong. Mm -hmm. If you ask the 12 disciples, if you presented her in a lineup, this woman in a lineup with people that Jesus should contact and have a conversation with about the kingdom, she would have lost every single time. You need to be talking to Nicodemus. He's a key guy. Let's get him for you. So I, I need to check on this. We need checks on this a lot. Who are we overlooking or assuming should never be approached, should never be prayed for because they're too far gone, they're too messed up, they're worshiping somebody that's not even close to Jesus. Folks, this is this woman. But you know what? She had it. What, what is the foundation of her life? She wants Messiah to come to answer her questions. I speak to you, I'm he, precious woman to become a child of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm right here with you at the well at noon in the middle of the day when you shouldn't be here. Just then his disciples came back. They're like, ah, friends, they're messing it up. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek her? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. An interesting little detail. She was thirsty. She came to get water, but what's more important now? This water that Jesus is sharing with her. She left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah at our well? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So we don't know. The well is outside of town a ways. Um, so the people come streaming out of the town when Jesus says this to the disciples. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. What? So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did he have a lunchbox that we didn't know about? Did she feed him when she came out to get the water for the well? The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Wow. Gentlemen, 
lunch is is important, but it's way down here. What's really important right now is that I'm I wore my fishing my fish tie today. Jesus is going fishing today. He's not just bringing in one really beautiful bass. He's going to bring in the whole thing. Jesus says, lunch is not a big deal right now, gentlemen. There's a whole village coming out here. They're going to get saved. That's my food. That's what satisfies me is to do the will of my God. Saving people. Verse 35. Do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you. Look, he says. Look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. He says, look up. He says, here comes this town of Samaritans. And I'm going to bring them into the kingdom. The harvest is white, gentlemen. Take a look. Here it comes. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. Somebody had told this group of Samaritans about Messiah. And it went clear back to Jacob's time. And they grabbed a hold of it. Somebody else had been sowing some truth. And they had added that to their soup of religiosity. But they're like, Messiah, answer all questions. Save us. That sounds cool. Let's add Messiah to our mix. But that was a real thing, a true thing. So Jesus says, other people have been sowing, and then I get to reap today. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. You have entered into their labor. So you're, you're sowing on people right now. You're praying for them. You're sharing with them. You might not see that fruit come in. Somebody else may get to bring it in. Doesn't matter who brings it in. Keep on sowing, even if somebody else is going to bring it in. Jesus saying, somebody else sowed on these people, and I get to reap today. How amazing is that? Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Say it with me, because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed, say it with me, because, because of his word. Faith comes by hearing. Faith that comes by hearing is a faith that saves and a faith that remains and grows strong. Faith that comes just by seeing things and hearing things about Jesus. Uh, it can draw us in the right, it's just planting seeds and stuff. It's going the right direction. But John is clear through the whole gospel. When we hear about Jesus and our spirit connects and we come to him in truth, that faith comes by hearing and that saves and it grows and becomes stronger. Many more believe because of his word. Verse 42. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. Extraordinary. Chapter 2. Hearing and believing. Versus seeing and believing. We get Nicodemus. We go from Nicodemus to the woman at the well. And the whole town comes out. 
and they hear, and they believe, and they are saved. So the Samaritan woman, and for many in the village, faith comes by hearing, just like it did for Mary. Hearing her testimony, even hearing from Jesus himself. So how about for you? Faith comes by hearing for you too. I don't care if you're a fifth generation pastor family. You need to hear the gospel of Jesus and you need to personally believe and receive that. Dad, pastor, grandpa, pastor, great grandpa, pastor, that doesn't mean a thing for Jesus. You've got to hear and you've got to believe. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe online. Maybe you don't come to church because you feel like the Samaritan woman. You're like, I can't even step foot in there. They know my life. Yes, you can. We know our lives too. Jesus came to save the lost. He's not looking for clean people to save. He's looking for anybody who has a willing spirit and is willing to approach him in truth about their condition and their need for a Messiah. How about for those you're praying for and witnessing to? What can you do? How can you help them hear? Introduce them to music that testifies to Christ. Tell them about the Christian stations, radio stations, KGLY, KLM, AFR, whatever else. One that you think will match up with them. Introduce them. If they're on Pandora or Spotify, tell them a couple of bands that can really be awesome. Do a channel for Unspoken or um, Unspoken is great. You'll hear the gospel. Introduce them to our worship online. Just let them know, you know, if you invite them to church, like, oh no, I can never do this. Watch online. Listen, worship with us. Let them hear the gospel online. Okay? Introduce them to a daily devotional. We have free ones here in the entryway here. Take one with you. This is if the Holy Spirit prompts you. We've got these different options. We don't often think about them, right? We've got tracks back here on the table. One of them is really, really excellent. It's, it's created like a cartoon kind of thing. And it says, are you a good person? And most people are like, yeah, I'm a good person. And you open it up and it brings you through the gospel saying you're not good enough. But here's one who gives the gift to you because he loves you. It's fantastic. Ryan Wolke uses it all the time. Have, have some tracks available. If the Lord prompts you, grab one, use it. Find out if they have the Bible themselves and are they reading it. If not, and God's prompting you, give them a Bible. If you need one, if you don't have the bucks for it, let me know. I got Free ones, different kinds. I can match it up with the person that you're witnessing to. Give them a Bible. Uh, give them a schedule. We've got schedules in the entryway on that table too so they can read it chronologically so it makes more sense for them. If they're brand new to it, don't, don't just throw them a Bible and say, pop it open and, and start. Give them a tool that will help them read it chronologically and understand it better. Let the gospel come more, more easy. Invite them to join you at church. Sit with them. Go out to lunch with them afterwards to say, what did you think? What questions did you have? What did you hear? What did you hear? Because faith comes by 
hearing? What did you hear today? Because faith comes by hearing. So as we're witnessing to people and praying for people, we need to find ways. God, show us ways to help them hear the gospel. To meet Jesus at the well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Thank you for taking us down to the foundations of things that really matter. Thank you, Jesus, for so simple, so clear. But the only way we can worship you truly is from our spirit, your spirit, and from the life of truth, that we're, we're being true with you. Thank you, Father, that you're looking for that, and you're right here this morning. I want to thank you, Lord God, for giving us this example. You're willing to reach a hoity-toity, top-level religious Pharisee. And you're willing to meet a woman at the well in Samaria, who's about as far away and as messed up as somebody can get. But somewhere deep down inside all that mess, she had a little hope for Messiah. Fan that hope into flame as you met her and you saved her. God, she went out and brought other people and said, I heard this Messiah and you've got to hear him too. God, just, it's simple. Let us be like that today. I, I know Jesus. I know Messiah. I know a Savior and you've got to hear him too. I pray, Father, fruit now from this. Holy Spirit, guide and direct each one of us. As we have conversations and connections with people. God, show us, prompt us, give us the words, show us the timing. Help us, God, really do. Father, help us to bring lost ones to you to hear the good news. And then, God, help them believe what they hear and you saved in Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. Father, it's so important that eternity hangs in the balance. Help us, Father. More and more. Fill these chairs up, mighty God. Fill the chairs up with people like the woman at the well. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. There's no God like you. We bless and glorify your holy name, Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.